Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Pelican Built Tough. For all situations, go to pelican.com. Yak Gadget. For all your fine kayak fishing accessory needs, go to yakgadget.com. Eastport Marina on the beautiful shores of Dale Hollow Lake. For all your lodging, kayaking, and fishing needs, go to eastport.info. Now let's get this show started. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Feather and Fur, your host, Brad Robus. And tonight we have special guest, Richie Music. Welcome to the show, Richie. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So I like to start my show the same way, and I really think it's a great way to get to know a guest, is how did you get into hunting? Was it a family tradition? Take it up on your own? Something crazy? It's kind of crazy, honestly. I like crazy. Uh, let's see, let's see, I'm 42 years old, so 1992, I lived in uh, inner city Chicago in a pretty rough neighborhood, um, didn't know what hunting or fishing was, both of my parents were actually heroin addicts, Wow! Uh, and uh, we ended up, I have, a, I have a younger brother who is uh, six years younger than me. We were taken away. We were taken into protective custody when our parents were arrested for selling heroin. And uh, we went before the judge and the judge basically said, no one's going to take two brothers six years apart in age. Uh, so they're going to be separated in the system and they'll most likely never see each other. So my mom had three biological sisters, two of which already had daughters. As luck would have it, my Aunt Melody uh, had a daughter that was two months younger than me in Wisconsin. So I got to move to Wisconsin. And my younger brother stayed with my Aunt Mary, uh, who had a daughter that was 10 months older than my brother. So we were actually legally adopted by our mother's sisters. So. I ended up in Wisconsin. He stayed in Chicago. Um, to this day, he still doesn't hunt or fish, has no interest in it. And once I got to Wisconsin, man, I grew up on Poinette Lake, Wisconsin. And uh, it literally like changed my life. I couldn't get enough of the outdoors, whether it was fishing, hunting, you know, just totally different from that inner city concrete lifestyle. Um so, yeah, man, that's kind of really where it all started for me in a roundabout way. Kind of saved my life, honestly. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I, I get that. Not for me personally. That's not my story. But I volunteer a lot with taking veterans and first responders out into the outdoors. And I've seen the impact that fishing can make and hunting can make with a veteran and first responder and changing, like, their outlook on things. So I completely can see like oh, yeah. I, I, just, I fully realize and recognize the benefits that getting outdoors can have on a person's mental stability and, and totally. all of that. I mean, it's the way I reset. 
I mean, that's how after a long, stressful week, I go out in the kayak fishing or in the boat or in yeah. the fall, I'm out chasing birds constantly or, or getting in a tree stand. So, I mean, that's my mental reset for my stressful work week. 100%. That's a crazy story. So once you got up to Wisconsin, who introduced you to the outdoors then? My uncle, my uncle right. Jim. Um, it was uh, Thanksgiving Day. 1993 so i'd lived there about eight months um and he was like uh hey you want to go deer hunting with me this morning and i was like okay you know like i don't know what i'm doing but i'm just gonna go with you right so he puts me in this blaze orange that's way too big for me and uh we drive to uh a farm like six six miles away and we get out of the truck and he's like i'll never forget it he goes don't slam the door so I just like ease it closed and it's like freezing cold, dude, like 40 degrees, 38 degrees. There's 18, 20 okay. inches of snow on the ground and we get out and there's like no woods. It's like this huge cut cornfield. And in the middle of it, 400 yards away is an island of woods. that's probably two acres. He's like, right. well, we're going to walk to that island. And then we could see over the backside and as the deer come off the hill in the evening to feed in this cut cornfield. We'll be able to see him coming off the hill. Well, we opened the cattle gate along the road, literally. We walked through the cattle gate, closed the gate, and we're like 100 yards from the gate. And six deer come running over the hill into this island. He's like, get down. And I remember it so, so vividly that I literally dropped to the ground. I did the Superman. I face planted in the snow. And he's like, do you see him? I'm like, I'm not looking. My head was down. So I look I look up and he's on one knee with a Remington 308 pump. And these deer, you know, at the time I had no idea what was going on. And he's scoping them out and he's like, do you see him? Do you see him? And I could just see Brown standing in sure. the island, you know, in the snow. And he's like, I'm going to shoot that real big doe. Do you see the one in the back? I'm like, yeah. And all of a sudden this 308 goes off. My ears are ringing. I'm like, holy crap. She just falls <laughs> over. And this is like 350 yards. I've never seen anything like this in my life. Wow. The gun goes off, the deer falls, and the other deer come out flying. And they're like running towards the road, paralleling us. And he's like, oh, there's a buck. And he's he's like, I'm going to get the buck. And I see him swinging on this deer. And mind you, they're like 350, 400 yards, running, going to jump across the road and get down the swamp. He squeezes the trigger and dumps him. Just oh. dumps him. And he goes sliding through the snow and he's like, I got him. And I remember jumping up and like beelining to the buck because I couldn't believe what I just saw. So I was so excited after that. He's like, all right, you think you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, man, I'm like, I definitely want to do this. So he's That's like, cool. all right. So they enrolled me in hunter safety. And man, honestly, I took boater safety and hunter safety the same year. And from that point on, it was like, you know, that's funny when you say, like, I was 13 years old and had my own boat. Now, this is 1993. This is before cell phones. I had a 12-foot Lumacraft with a 15-horse Johnson on it. And I could run from Lake Wisconsin to the mouth of the Baraboo River. And if anybody knows what that is, that's about an 11-mile stretch of river. There was no cell phones. Uh, the only rule was be home by dark, you know? Sure. And I couldn't imagine now, like, telling my kid to, like, oh, you're fine. Even with a cell phone, go get in the boat and go fish all day. No way. Like, I had it made and didn't even know it. Right. I mean, I, I'm a huge I, – I launch all the time out of Decorah. 
We hang out on the same, and where you know exactly where that is. Mm -hmm. I'm really familiar. I've ran the Baraboo tons of times in my dump oh, yeah. boat. We we play on sandbars on the Wisconsin River all the time. If you look yes. at my social media in summer, it's nothing but sandbar pictures. Like I gave up big lakes. I'm a river. Oh yes, yeah. but yeah. so I know exactly the run you're talking about. And so the Wisconsin you know, you, River, you, it can be dangerous when the river's yeah, high. So you know, be, yeah, you know that area well, then. I do. So my my first deer hunt that next year at 14 was uh, the Wisconsin River. We hunted the islands. All right. So we would go out and sit in a tree stand uh, a half hour before sunrise on opening day of gun season. Right. And uh, I could literally, I can close my eyes and envision it actually taking place. Like the old man, I'm scared to death. I'll be honest with you. Even to this day, I'm 42 years old and I'm still, I'm going to admit this live. I'm still a little afraid of the dark. A little. <laughs> Like if you get dropped off in the woods somewhere and you don't know that woods, it's a little nerve wracking, like oh. trying to make sure you can find your way out to the pickup point or whatnot. So oh, yeah. he would literally, he would literally motor in in the boat in the dark. And he's like, all right, he'd nudge it up on shore. And he's like, all right, I'll see you later. And I'd have to like headlight it to into the island and find my tree stand and climb up. And I'd hear the boat like motor away and he'd go two or three islands down. I'd hear it shut off, you know? So I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my stand. It's like 30 minutes before sunrise. And any of you that hunt Wisconsin know you always, always hear rifle <laughs> shots before first light. I can hear them cracking off up on the hill. And I can't even see the ground beneath my stand. And I'm like, oh, my God. It was like four or five minutes. I hear water splashing. And I know the deer are coming off the mainland onto the island. So I'm like, sure. get ready. I still can't really see, honestly. I'm like, get ready. And I could hear them coming through the woods, through the leaves in the island. And all of a sudden, my stand was on a little creek that was literally three feet wide, maybe a foot and a half deep. Okay. The tree grew right on the bank of it. All of a sudden, water splashes underneath my stand. And I look down, and I can't see. It's still dark. Well, fast forward like 12 to 15 minutes, the deer meander through the island. They get out on the edge of the island where they're going to cross the sandbar and go to the next island towards my old man. And... Uh, I can see now it's legal light and there's this huge doe. My first time I had a Remington 870 20 gauge. Right. She's like maybe 60 yards. I'll never forget this. I pull up, I put that silver bead like right behind the shoulder and boom, it rocks my freaking world 20 feet in the air. <laughs> and the deer jumps in the water and I can see blood the second it hit the water as it's swimming across to the next island. And I sat, you know, another like, hour, hour and a half, and the old man came to get me. We never did find that doe. We never recovered her. Wow. Um, but my dad said, he did say when he was in the boat motoring around to come to get me because he heard me shoot, he sure. saw a huge doe running down the bank, you know, limping. Um, and we went and we looked for, I don't know, a couple hours. And then the next day we looked again and the cattails never did recover. So I did lose my first one that I ever hit or shot at but i mean I, hey that's hunting right like it, it is not, every, not I mean, every story is fantastic i was i was ready for this story to go to the point where like it made it halfway across and died and started floating down river and your dad and you were hollering for your for your uncle to come get you with the boat because yeah. you're yeah. watching your deer float that's really where i thought this was going to go yeah. no i wish i wish <laughs> and, and to this day when you fast forward well 30 years um that was 30 years ago this year. When you when you look back on it, and I've killed a lot of deer, 
I don't know in all honesty that I've ever seen a doe that big. I just feel like those big matriarch does or those big, what you call swamp donkey bucks, those deer that reside um, in a situation like that where they're living in water uh it's a much tougher animal and quite frankly i feel like some of the biggest body deer we've ever killed have come off the river on the islands sure you know and you know it's funny because i've been i i'm spoiled i have some private land i get to hunt in columbia county which is just north which actually is part of that area but a little farther east of it um But I've really thought about looking at those different islands to chase woodcock with my dog when the migration comes through. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was just up there just east of 51, um, uh, off of, pretty much near Morse Road and Dunning Road. I killed a couple of turkeys up there. Very nice. Yeah. My buddy's got a 90-acre farm right there. Nice. So you had yeah. a good spring turkey season then? Yeah, I got three. I got one. I ended up buying a farm and... Uh, Northwest Illinois, Joe Davies County, last spring, bought my All first right. farm, um, and uh, I killed a turkey on it, my first sit in the rain. It was awesome. I had four come in, and uh, we had that on the show, but uh, yeah, it was just, it, there's a, I don't know how to explain it. Like, there's a feeling, like, we all struggle with, you know, if, if you've done the public, you've done the private, where you're knocking doors and gaining access Right. If you've ever been through that experience, you know it is a struggle. And at any minute, you could lose that spot. You could lose that access. And quite frankly, where I live now, like in northern Illinois, I'm in between Rockford and Chicago. Hunting spots are really hard to come by, like unbelievably hard. Uh, and they're just so hard to keep because there's always somebody knocking on the door, offering more than you have to offer. Sure. Or willing to throw crazy money. And then next thing you know, you're out. So I dealt with that for like a decade, man. And it was brutal. Like you'd have these really good spots and then somebody come in and throw crazy money at it or offer to do something for them that you couldn't, uh, you know, top. And next thing you know, you're out. So I kind of had enough. So I was like, man, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it now. So I got lucky, found an incredible piece of property in a pristine location, Joe Davies County. And it just awesome. it, it ended up working out, you know, I, I got lucky, but I know yeah. like that, that door knock and struggle for guys that do it. I got a special respect because if you're running and gunning on public or you're driving countless miles and knocking endless doors to try to pick up parcels, man, that's putting in the effort, you know? Oh, for sure. I mean, I even struggle trying to get parcels for predator control because mm-hmm. even that's got a lot of competition now. But mm-hmm. deer hunting's a completely different level just from the amount of people knocking on doors. Yes. Another thing that's gotten crazy too is uh goose hunting, getting permission oh, for I mean that's gotten nuts. Where I live right here, it's like everybody's a waterfowl hunter. Sure. Everybody. Yeah. I mean, that exploded for sure. And mm-hmm. then like when I first started, that's where I started. I started with waterfowl hunting. That was my main interest. I I, right after high school, I rented a farm. It had a back corner that was always flooded and there's nothing but ducks and geese that piled in it off of a lake close to me. And I'm like, I got to learn how to hunt. So I went and did hunter safety and learned how to waterfall hunt and was completely spoiled with that being my first property. Because if yeah. you didn't overpressure it, you had birds all season long. It was, yeah. it was crazy. Yeah. 
but but then that led us to field hunting and we could knock on doors and i'd say one out of ten would turn us down otherwise it'd be like yeah sure that's fine oh, no yeah. problem oh yeah now i don't coyote hunt or goose hunt you're probably golden the second you mention the word white-tailed deer you're out <laughs> well well now even for goose hunting a lot of it's oh i lease my field or mm -hmm. I are, he's like, I've already got 10 people that have permission. I don't want to give any more permission out or that's like, yeah, but just to let you know, I've given everybody permission. So it's first come first serve. I mean, it's gotten yeah. really competitive around here, even on fields for geese. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that's, you know, that's interesting because the, the hunting industry as a whole, you've seen somewhat of a decline, but yet every time you go somewhere and you try to gain access, you know, there's more and more and more. And to touch even even further on that, you look at shed hunting, you know, like sure. shed hunting used to be like, dude, you could go anywhere and and pick up sheds. Like it was insane. You'd find them. I'd have days where I'd pick up 11 in two hours. Wow. But now you can't go anywhere without running into a guy with a backpack on or binoculars. And that's like where, where I'm at here. There are so many shed hunters. Like you could go an entire season and find three sheds where before I could go out to one spot and find three in an hour. Sure. It's so competitive here. That's crazy. I don't shed hunt. It's just nothing I've ever gotten into, but I have a couple friends that do it and they've been training their dog. And it does seem like it does seem like it's definitely getting competitive. And just from the amount of pressure I see yeah. on public lands, like even in spring like not turkey hunters even like because mm -hmm. i'm i'm still hunting public land a lot for predator control and i'll, I'll be cutting people tracks all the time and i'm like and, and it's not all the predator hunters and there's nothing else open that time of year so the only thing i can yeah. think of is that they're shed hunters for sure yeah so yeah. that you're right i mean you're right i mean it does seem like there's a lot more people in the outdoors but when you look at license numbers it doesn't necessarily reflect that correct yeah yeah so I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's maybe just that it's focused more into people that do more into the outdoors. You don't have maybe just those gun deer season hunters anymore that only do that. Maybe it's just that there's people have become more of an all around generalized sportsman that you're seeing more pressure all around. Yeah. Well, see like here in Northern Illinois, I think last year or the year before last, maybe it's two years ago, they legalized crossbows for everyone. Okay. Um, so, like, our local archery shops, I mean, you you could not keep a crossbow on the shelf. Um, everybody was – and maybe we gained a lot of new hunters in general because they could use a crossbow instead of a compound. Um, but just, like, he, I'd go into the shop and he'd be like, dude, I can't keep them in here. It's the number one selling thing. Sure. Know? So – And and, and, we're, Wisconsin, I, and they're legal in Wisconsin as well. We're, we, yeah. we legalized crossbows as well. Yeah, where I live here, um, in my particular county, Kane County, Illinois, uh, so we have a highway, it's called 47, Route 47. Anything east of 47 is a archery-only zone. So okay. even though on the other side of the highway, you can shotgun deer hunt, um, everything like where I'm at primarily is you, you can only harvest a deer. With so Got we it. have some, we have, you know, we have a lot of really good deer because there is no gun pressure. Sure. Uh, you know, the sub suburban hunting where I live. Um, <clears throat> so they have an opportunity to get to that 
older, more mature age class, really our only competition, quite frankly, is cars, man. I mean, you lose quite a few crossing the road to the rut and, and getting hit, but we just don't have that gun hunt. So a lot of them make it. And, and we, you know, most guys are lucky to see a four and a half year old deer where I'm not really looking to shoot a deer unless he's five and a half. Wow. And, and, you know, in the last, what is the last five years, I've got three booners with a bow in five years. Now that's, that is on private land. Sure. Um, sure. But that's still, but, I mean, that that's still very impressive because even if you own 80 acres of private deer are going to move more than 80 acres. Mm -hmm. So unless everybody on your, in your, in, in your area is going to practice the same quarterly deer management, let's just, and be honest, no one does like the know, odds of you to get the odds of you to get a group of six to 10 neighbors together and actually do that just doesn't happen. At least no. I've never seen it. You know that you bring up, you bring up a valid point. So I've literally like dove into this, I'm not going to say quality deer management because if a deer walks by and he's freaky or funky and he mm -hmm. looks mature, you know, like last uh, two years ago, I had an eight pointer that I swear to you was 300 pounds on the hoof. He was 24 <laughs> inches wide inside, but just had no tines, short tines. Sure. Tall tine was seven inches. I was going to kill that deer. I had him broadside on camera. I had the bow in my hand. I'm like, just come 10 more yards. He was 52. And I really wanted them at 40. Now it was wide open, but I just didn't want to take the shot. Now, so my point is I would have harvested that deer, even though he might only scored 135. Sure. He was a five and a half, six and a half year old animal, could have been on a decline. But the point of this is I've kind of really noticed that. So this particular farm I'm on is a 600 acre private piece. Uh, and the big deer, you know, we're all running the, the Tacticam reveal cell cameras, so I don't have to go in and put pressure on these bedding areas. I'll get on the fringes of it, and I'll set my cameras. And I will not legitimately go in there uh, until I'm going to hunt. And I won't until I get a picture of a shooter, quite sure. frankly. I just stay sure. out. Basically turn it into a sanctuary. But what I have noticed, you could take a 600-acre farm, private land, 400 of it is solid timber. You know where all my big deer live? 20 acres or less. Really? 20 acres or less on a 600-acre farm. I killed three giants all within eyesight of each other in five years. 600 so what, acres, and I could see the tree of all three that I killed. So what's different in the habitat then? There's something there that's whole. Is it a good bedding area? It's a great, it's a great bedding area. And, and I have my stand set up on the southeast edge of this big bowl that's thick. And it, it transitions into timber. And primarily the most we see here around late October through mid-November is a dominant north-northwest wind. So by staying on the south edge of this bedding area, I'm getting in undetected. Right. And I'm only going in when, you know, when the camera is giving me the, the data to tell me it's time to get in there. Otherwise, I stay out. And, and sure. you know, if I see if I see I'm actually getting pictures right now. So we're talking on the, on the app. <laughs> awesome. to <come> in. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'll wait till there's a shooter in there. And if he's on a doe, I first thing I do is check the wind. If it's a north, any north wind, I can hunt that stand and get away with murder. 
because they have to transition up out of it uh, to to go off into the destination food fields. So it's just one of those. So they're coming from below you. They're coming from below you then. So you're in there in the morning. You have the thermals to help you bring your scent. If you got your wind right, plus you have the thermal bringing your scent up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's just a perfect scenario. Yeah. It's like one of those situations where you, you know, I've been to the, all over the country to the deer shows and uh, you listen to these guys talk about, well, I only have 10 acres. And I tell that story every time, like, dude, I'm on 600 and there's nobody bothering the deer. They're all in a 20. It, it literally takes on a sap one tree and it doesn't have to be a tree. Just that one trail that is the perfect transition from A to B, whether it's food to bed and, and you put yourself in the right spot. But ultimately it's, I'm a firm believer too, that you have to play by the wind. If you're just, if you're just a bow hunter and you want to go kill deer, I'm not going to tell you the wind makes that big of an effect on it. If in fact you're looking to harvest a three and a half year old or larger whitetail, it plays everything into it. He'll trust his nose before anything. Right. Um, and and I, you know, I really didn't focus on that for a long time. And I never killed big deer, quite frankly. But when I did and I got serious about it, the results were like back to back to back. Like this does work. These guys are serious. You know, yeah, and and those mature deer definitely do play the wind. I have one, the one buck I lost with a bow. I hit it low in the brisket. I got it on camera later, and I believe it did survive the entire season. I rushed my shot, but anyways, they were coming out of the swap behind me to my right, and I watched a buck was hot on a doe, but the doe was just cruising along, feeding on grass, just working its way up the trail, mm-hmm. and the buck stopped, saw me, and he kept looking at me, but he would look right. at that doe. And yeah. but he kept looking back and forth, back and forth. The doe never caught on. Like the doe was just had no idea why I was there, but that buck knew and he kept looking at me. So I got my bow down and I rushed the shot thinking I didn't have as much time looking back. Now I had all the time in the world because the doe wasn't spooked. Like that yeah. was a big learning lesson for me. The buck knew I was there, but the buck knew I was there for the past 10 minutes, but was going to keep following that doe. So I, I rushed the shot and that's, that was a mature deer. And that's like, the, that was my biggest one I've ever had an opportunity at. And I screwed it up and I'm like, man, but it was a good learning lot. It wasn't, but that just shows like that, that buck smelt me. I know it did because it yeah. picked its nose up and the wind was kind of swirling that morning, but the doe somehow did it. I don't know what the doe was focused on. Maybe, maybe it wasn't as mature. Maybe it didn't have the pressure that the buck had seen in its life. But that buck knew I was there and kept wind check. And then when it looked, then when it finally figured out what tree I was in, it would be eyes on the doe. They would walk a little bit. And as soon as that doe stopped, his head would turn and look right at uh, me every time. But it just, it was crazy to see the difference between the doe and the buck with the doe never picking up on me. But that yeah. buck knew instantly. Like as soon uh-huh. as it stepped into danger zone, that buck knew. And I feel like, like a, a truly mature buck. He knows, like, I I think, and and I know a lot of people have have said this in the past, but the older he gets, the smaller his core area becomes. And he knows every inch of that. You know, like you throw a ladder stand up, I have literally been busted. Like, I'm talking about hanging hunt, go in throw set up deer comes out looks straight up at you i have the wind in my favor like a mature deer knows 
that stand wasn't there yesterday or those sticks sure. weren't on that tree or that lifeline wasn't hanging. Like they pick that stuff off and people are like, oh no. I'm like, yes, they do. I mean, I've had it happen where you could, you, you could hang a set on public, you know, on a highway trail and have year and a half olds, two and a half year olds, does and fawns run right by you and never look up. But a mature buck coming down that trail, that's walked that trail for three and a half, four and a half years. He'll stop, put the brakes on, and look right up at you. Have you ever had one look up at you in the tree? I have. have that, you, that one, that mature buck that caught me did, and then I've had other ones do it as well. Yeah, I've even like had, they know. I mean, we're pretty lucky. Like, we leave our stands up all year. They get used to our stands. But I have had that when I was only hunting public before. Mm -hmm. I've even had mature does do that, like, look up and just, like, instantly blow. Like, they're like, you weren't there yesterday. Yeah. I know you're not supposed to be there. Brad, so like five years ago, a guy on my show, Mark Johnson, he was filming out in uh, Joe Davies County on some big public ground. And uh, I, I, I got to send you this footage at a later date. But it's it's like it's truly like Drury, unbelievable or Lakowski or whatever. Like, sure, this dude's on public land that gets tons of pressure, like tons. He's sitting in the stand, three does come out in front of him. And if you can envision on the inside edge of a field, a giant green field surrounded by timber, it's 500 yards across and 200 yards wide. He's, right. on the, he's on the southwest edge of this and his lone wolf. He threw the set up, climbs up. He's got the does in front of him. The does keep like looking back. And all of a sudden he picks his head up and he looks and kitty corner all the way across the field, 500 yards, out steps a freaking magnum, just a hammer. And he turns the camera and he's filming this deer come 500 yards on a trot coming to those does. And uh, I, at the first time I watched the footage, I'm like, every step he takes, he's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, he didn't say anything. I watched the footage and I go, dude, that's a 190 inch deer. He's a nine pointer, a nine pointer on public ground. Oh. Deer stops 17 yards. He goes, Matt stops him behind the does full draw. The camera's perfect. He sends it. Boom. Goes through the front of the neck. Oh. oh. The arrow's stuck. The deer turns, bolts across the field 500 yards, right back to where he stepped out of the timber. My guy, my guy's like puking in the stand. Like, I can't believe this just happened. How did I pull the shot at 17 yards? Right. And uh, that was another one. Like, dude, no, hardly any blood. It was like a muscle hit. Sure. Uh, the deer was never recovered. There was no, really no blood trail. Just that impact. There was a couple of drops where it cut the flesh, but it was literally like muscle. Um, right. And, right. and that was a giant that we lost on camera on public. That would have been probably, in my opinion, one of the biggest nine pointers probably ever harvested on public ground. 17 yards, great footage, still plenty of light and oh. just pulled the shot, man. I mean, that's, that's that footage has got it. That's bow hunting, got, right? It, it is. But that footage, I mean, oh. just to have that deer trotting for 500 yards, like that suspense, the buildup, like like that. that's where the miss came in because he watched him come for 500 yards. He had Forever. too long to think about it. And he, he's looking at me. He's like, do you think it's a big deer? Do you think he's 170? And I'm looking at the footage and I'm slowing it down. And I'm like, dude, he's way over 170 as a four by four. And he's got a 10 inch G four on the left. He's a nine. I'm like, dude, he's a, that's a monster. Low one eighties, 
maybe, but just a tank. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, that's like, I guess that's why we love it so much. Like, the thrill with a bow. Like, I love the gun hunt. Don't get me wrong. I'm not one of those guys that says, oh, I just bow hunt. I hunt everything, anything I can. I'll fish everywhere. Um, But like, there's something about outwitting a whitetail with a bow and arrow in your hand. Like a gun, gun hunting is easy. I, I mean, to an extent, gun right. hunting is easy. If, right. if, you're, if you've got an accurate rifle or slug gun and, and you can, you know, make the perfect shot, it's, it's kind of done right away, right? Right. But right. with a bow, it's that like, I feel like for me, gun hunting, the deer don't just come in and work their way through. They're running. They're going from A to B and you got to decide now, do I want to shoot that deer? Like versus uh, bow hunting, like I have rattled and grunted so many big deer in. People think I'm crazy that like I always have rattling antlers, either black rack uh, or a grunt tube on me at all times. Like quite frankly, uh, October 19th, I watched the dude, uh, two does came out in a the field. They were feeding in a, in a clover field. 157 inch nine pointer steps out and he lip curls when he gets in the field, lip curls behind those does. And I'm like, what is he doing? He's sight checking those does October 19th. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to grunt at him. He's like, no, no, don't, don't. You're going to scare him away. And I'm like, no way. He's feeling it. He's feeling it. Now, mind you, it's only October 19th. It's like 85 sure. degrees. <laughs> he walks behind the does and he is literally bumping these two does. He's trying to check them. They get into standing corn, and I'm like, dude, they're going to cross the field and go to the neighbors. I got to grunt. I got to grunt. He's like, ah. And I could see it in his face. He's like, don't blow this for me. I'm like, just trust me. (laughs) I hit it. Three grunts. All of a sudden, the corn's shaking. He comes on a string, on a string, out of standing corn, right at the blind, right at it. And he Uh, smokes him at 37 yards, dies on camera, flips over in the food plot. And he looks at me and he goes, thank you. I just, (laughs) I just killed the biggest buck of my life. And I would have never thought a deer would come to a grunt tube October 19th. I said, you got it. Like sometimes you have to, you know, seize the day. And, and when he came out and he lip curled, I knew he was feeling frisky. Sure. Sure. It it just worked out. We were able to capitalize it on it. It It's like 157 inch nine pointer. And, and it was awesome. his biggest to date. And he was like, he t- everywhere we, every time we're out, he's telling people that story. He's like, you wouldn't believe this guy. <laughs> but it, ha- it happens. Sometimes stuff, crazy stuff happens in the woods, man. I, I remember the first time I had a deer respond to an ant, to ant, to rattling. I remember that. I mean, it wasn't a big deer. It was a really young six pointer, just a small basket. Mm-hmm. But I got on the rattles. And you could just hear this thing come stomping. And it wasn't a big, it wasn't one of the bigger deer I had on camera. It was one of the smaller deer I had on camera. Yeah. And this thing was just coming in to check out what was going on. I'm like, yeah. you are one brave dude. But I remember that. I remember the first time I had one respond, I'm like, this was cool. Like this just made it far different than just sitting here. Cause at that point now you're actively engaged. Yeah. What do you, what do you shoot for a bow, Brad? I have an older bear, and then I also have a crossbow as well. What crossbow are you running? Ah, uh, what do I have? I have a cheaper Wicked Ridge. Okay, you happy with it? 
it does the job for how much I get out. My main focus is bird hunting. So I do yeah. a lot of upland hunting, a lot of grouse hunting. Most of my October is spent in the Northwoods chasing grouse. Yeah. Um, that's kind of why I switched to the crossbow because the closest place for me to shoot archery is 25 minutes away. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't have any room in my yard. My neighbors would call the cops on me to be quite honest. I live in a small subdivision yeah. in my basement. My basement is 11 yards long. Oh, okay. I, right. I, I know it. I know it specifically. It's 11 yards long. So dude, so I got I was, this. Uh, have you heard of Excalibur crossbows? I have. That's where I would go. I would dude, absolutely do an literally just a limbo. I have killed some awesome deer with this thing. And I feel like, like, this is not an endorsement. I have nothing to do with them. I'm just telling you, dude. Probably I have a brand new uh, Mission Sub 1 XR hanging behind the camera. This thing, dude, is like my go-to. Like, I know if it, if whatever it is, is that within 50 yards, I can hit an apple every shot at 50 yards. This thing is so, quite frankly, badass. But so I love I, Excal- Excalibur would be, if I was to buy a new crossbow, it is hands down an Excalibur. One, you can change the string yourself. And everybody yes. that shoots a crossbow knows crossbows wear through strings far faster than a compound bow. Yes, especially yeah. with the fact you have to shoot it after every time you cock it, unless you get one that's got a de- that's decockable. Which a lot yeah, of- this the new the new mission sub one uh, XR is decockable. Um, I, I literally I haven't messed with it. Honestly, I've shot the thing like six times, but I always feel find myself reaching for this one because I feel like there's nothing that's going to go wrong. Right? There's no cams. There's, yeah. It, it, like, if you break, if you somehow break a limb, you can fix it yourself. You don't even need a bowsmith yeah. to work on the bow. That's why I would do it. Because as long as Excalibur stays in business and offers yeah. parts for whatever model I get, yeah. I know I'll always be able to fix it myself. I got this Sub 1 XR, honestly, because I got this huge food plot that's 120 yards across. And I have so many coyotes. Like every time I sit this plot, I have coyotes come out on the back side of it and it's always the wrong wind to set a stand on the back side of it. So I have sure. to stay on the east end of it and shoot all the way across it. Um, I took a headshot on a coyote last year with the Excalibur at 54 yards. It was four yards over money. And I took my time, dude. I was, I was live on Facebook actually. I'm not real. <laughs> I freaking sent it. Luminox glowing the whole way. It goes just under. Oh, it was, it was literally three inches at 54 yards would have just smoked him. So I wanted that, the, the mission sub one, cause everybody's talking about these hundred yard right. uh, groupings with this thing. I'm like, not that I want to shoot a deer at a hundred yards. They say it's capable of it, but to me, that kind of takes the fun out of the whole archery experience. And, right. and uh, you know, that's, that's another thing we ought to probably talk about. I want to ask you what your opinion is on, on bow hunting like when you look back on all the deer you've harvested with a bow and arrow how many of them have actually been past 20 yards one at 34 yeah dude longest, so like I, even with the crossbow these people i i've killed i would say 90 percent of the deer i kill with a bow are inside of 20 yards i hunt really i hunt pretty thick areas like even the prop my private the private land i have it's thick even mm-hmm. a long shot for me would be 40 yards in any of my like archery stands. That's yeah. why I built a completely different deer rifle this past year. Cause I wanted something super fast and quick pointing. So I could utilize more of those stands. But even if I had a crossbow that I could comfortably shoot a hundred yards with, 
I wouldn't even like there is nowhere in my stand situations that there isn't a twig or something that would knock that arrow right. off course. And that's it's just not valid, even ethical. That's a very valid point because unless you're on a field edge, I don't care right. how good a shot you are, at the spur of the moment as a deer or an animal's coming through the woods, you cannot with the blind eye see a twig at 30. You can't. Agreed. You cannot. Agreed. Oh, I can shoot 60 yards. That's great. But that twig at 42 that you can't see is going to deflect your own either A, wound it, or you're just going to miss. It's going to ruin your confidence either way. So, like, I, I know a lot of guys that shoot super long distances at deer. I know a lot of guys that wound deer. And a lot of guys that kill deer at long distances. It's just not my game. I like Agreed. them close. I like them Agreed. close. And for video, I mean, you know, for video purposes, man, that's the money shot, dude. Inside of 20, it's sure. It's, that that's what you, that's what kind of if you're filming or trying to document your hunt, that's what we live for. Is you know, right? And nobody wants to watch you shoot one at forty yards on a blurry freaking screen. You know, right, right. And then I always when I, when I made the switch to crossbow, I did it because I wanted to do it for epic. Like like I said, I didn't have a good spot to practice with a compound, and I was a big fan of practicing a lot with a compound, so I had the confidence, the muscle, I could hold draw. So when I made the switch, because I had so much focus on bird hunting and still wanted to like actively participate in archery, yeah. I took that mentality with like, I'm not going to take longer shots just because this can. This is going to make it so I can ethically harvest a deer in the range I've always been comfortable with. So oh, I works. still won't push it over 40 yards. Most of my normal, and that's a long shot for me. And there's only a couple of spots where I would even consider it. Whereas most of my shots are, if they're over 30, I'm going to let them walk just because a, they didn't even come down the right trail or, or B, I just can't guarantee. I don't have some twig or brush or stick in my way. That's going to deflect that arrow. And then the the worst feeling I ever have is losing an animal, a deer, yeah. even a bird. I hate it when I lose a bird and a deer is even worse. Absolutely. So I don't want, I don't like experiencing that. That's a terrible feeling. Like I've experienced it before and I hate it and I don't want to do it anymore. No, we've all been there, and that's, you know, as a bow hunter, if you haven't lost a deer yet, you haven't been bow hunting long enough. It's going to happen. We try we try everything we can to make the most ethical, clean, quick kill. But, man, this bow hunting's a game of inches. It's not a bullet. Right. And it's got to hit its mark, man. Uh, so that's like, uh, for me, my son, uh, Joey, this is his his second year of hunting, and uh, he his first year opening day of, of archery, he shot a doe at like 34 yards, made a bad shot, dude. I, I literally was getting nervous. This is my kid's first hunt ever, right? first year, and the footage is epic, but I know the shot's forward. It's, it's forward in the chest and, and almost to the neck, you know, and I'm like, God, I just don't know. And he shot it with the Excalibur, actually. Thank God it was this because... It had enough oomph to push through. All right. Catch the, the jugular. Uh, and that deer ended up dying in the creek. And he, my son, I'll never forget it. He jumps down this creek, walks right out in the middle of it, grabs his doe and starts dragging it to shore. And he's a little skinny dude. And the, the current, once the deer got off the rocks and like into the current, He's holding the leg and it's starting to pull him down the river. He's looking up at me like a deer in headlights, like, Dad, you gotta help me. I can't hold on anymore. The deer's gonna take off. So, yeah, I don't know. You got kids? I do not. We do not yeah. have children. I got six, three boys, three girls. So now they're all 
starting to get to that age where they want to hunt. I have some that love to hunt, some that don't want to hunt. Sure. Some that love to fish, you know. Sure. So it's like now, like, it's always somebody wants to go with. I want to go. I want to do that. That's, that's, that's gotta be fun though. I mean, that's the one thing I, I wish that like we tried to have kids. It didn't work out whole long story, whatever. doesn't really matter at this point, but like, that's one thing. Like I take my nieces out now and yeah. I was there when my youngest niece harvested her, well, not my yo- youngest, but my youngest hunting niece harvested her first buck. And you were like, with her? I was with her and like helping her like through, like she was in her, own, like for the year previously, we had sat together. She sat either with my father-in-law, her grandpa, or me and she didn't she really wanted to shoot a buck and she was with me and we had does at 15 yards and she goes yeah. no i want to shoot a buck i want my first. i'm like i'm like that's awesome and i actually and i don't do a lot of filming but i actually did a small short like little five minute film with her like even with some b-roll like it was fun um but like i have her on video looking at a monster at about 110 yards and she uh. shoots her she shoots her great grandma's 35 rem open sight pump and she goes i don't Jesus. feel comfortable I'm like, Brad, I don't blame what, you. What what do you film with, Brad? That was with a tactic, a fisheye, a tacticam fisheye, actually. <laughs> uh-huh. And then I was also using a Sony. Did I have my Sony then? I no, what is that? An Olympus TG860 tough camera. Because that's oh, all I had. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't have the zoom I wanted. So I had the Tacticam facing back towards us in the stand, and then I was using that other camera, getting as much zoom as I possibly could out of it. Now, have you seen I almost, I almost dropped it. I did drop it. Here. Have you seen the new 5.0s? I have not seen one in person yet. Five, it's, I think it's eight times Zoom, dude. Awesome. So you could, I mean, like for your bird hunting and stuff, like we we go up to La Crosse, Wisconsin, on the Mississippi River. Sure. We document some awesome waterfowl hunting. Just just literally running that cam on a clamp on the barrel. So I've, I was running my fisheye with the zoom lens, the actual screw-on yeah. zoom lens. And then I had another one mounted on the boat line backwards towards us with a wide angle lens to grab two different views, one shotgun view. And I got a couple of good videos this past year doing that. I need to focus a little more on it because a lot of times it's always second to me, like the hunting's first. I got to really, it's when I take a new hunter with is when I really focus on that because I want to document their experience. And I have to take that mentality through for more of my hunts also. Right, right. Yeah, totally. But I have her on video looking at this monster, just like shaking, shaking. Uh, it was awesome. So that next, how, how that, old is she? She is now seventeen, but she would have been fifteen when she got her first buck. Oh yeah, so just fired up. Oh yeah. So I wasn't. She was sitting in a tree stand on the other side of the property, and we had been like texting throughout the day, and she's like, "There's deer coming." I'm like, yeah. "Okay, I'm like just get ready," and she shot the buck. And it fell, it was 25, 30 yards on the trail right in front of her stand and it dropped dead in its tracks, no tracking. And like, she texted me back and like, you could see, like, you could feel the emotion then in the text. Cause like, you could tell like all the feelings. Cause it's, if you haven't harvested a deer, like you run this whole gamut of emotions from excitement to not regret, but it's almost bittersweet, right? Because you just harvested this majestic animal. And that like that to me still kind of chokes me up a little bit. Like, 
man, like this, this animal, I just took its life to feed me. Like it's, it's a, it's an emotional roller coaster. And for her to experience that for her first time, like I helped guide her through that. She goes, I'm kind of starting to cry. I'm like, that's okay. Like that, that's, okay. Accept yeah. that, that's acceptable. It's fine. Like you just harvested an animal, like killing shouldn't necessarily be easy. Right. Like, and that's kind of why I'm like, killing isn't an easy thing to do. And it, I don't think it should be. I mean, if I felt no emotion for it, I'd kind of second guess myself as a psychopath. <laughs> right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So walking her through all that. And then when I got there and like those emotions kind of started to settle down and then that excitement came back and I got some really good pictures with her because I brought my good camera with. So I got good pictures with her and like the sunset was setting, setting behind her and it, it was just awesome. Nice. So, yeah, I mean, I, that excitement of like having your, having the kids come up now, I mean, that's just gotta be like next level. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm not going as deep as I would venture in the past into the woods, you know, them short legs, they can only go so far to get the blind. Right. I, you know, it's fun. I, I like getting them out for me now. Like, uh, it's all about like the experience, you know, like it's not about inches. And and I'll be honest, like when I was on the when I was on the hunting show for eight years, dude, it was all about like I gotta shoot the biggest buck, I gotta be the top guy. Sure. And and, and you know, anyone that's in the hunting or filming industry, I feel like falls into that because it's the norm, you know. You can't all be uh, TV hunters, dude. It's just not gonna it's a very select few, a very elite few that get to hunt well-managed huge farms with giant food plots and that to me is not relatable to the youth of tomorrow coming up hunting um you may like to watch it for a little while but at some point you're going to be like man i don't ever feel like that when i go to the woods right you know and, and it's that unrelatability that i think quite frankly over time you start to lose hunters because they feel like i'm not good enough at this Sure. Why are they killing booners every year? And I see six pointers, you know, and they don't realize that, you know, uh, if you live in an area that doesn't produce trophy class deer, you're probably not going to harvest the trophy deer. Right. Or maybe trophy to you, but, you know, Boone and Crockett style trophy. Um, right. I mean, a lot, there's so many things that come into play there. And if they're like, so, so like many. I mean, you go to like Northern Wisconsin, I've hunted the big woods before. Me too. Us, up in Mercer. So I wasn't far away. I was in St. Germain. Yeah. An eight pointer up there is their boot and crop. I mean, they, oh, and, and that's rare. I mean, yeah. it's normally basket rack fours and sixes and like, they don't, I mean, they're eating brow tines. Like they're eating pine brows is what the, their main, or if you have a good acorn crop, they're going to have a good food. But other than that, right. I mean, they don't have the agriculture up there to support these deer. They don't, I mean, they just don't grow the same as they do. And then if you're in these specialized areas that have these, pristine food prompts with nothing but like food that's like basically engineered to grow antler. <laughs> yeah. So I completely get it. And I, I've also made that switch to like about like the, by the way I end my every show is keep chasing that experience. Cause to me, it's the experience. It's not the exactly. harvest. It, harvesting the animal is only a small piece of that experience. Like there's so much more to it. Like, especially if you like look at the bigger picture, like I can go out and not see a bird with my dog, but I can see an amazing sunrise and watch my dog work and experience nature firsthand. And like that experience is what I want to make sure I recognize. And the finding birds is just another part of it, but not the whole piece of it. 
Yeah. Same with deer. I I know seeing my son shoot his first year, it was a doe. To me, like I was shaking. I was running the camera and, and, and I, that to me, I had such an adrenaline rush and so much excitement um, for him and to be a part of it and, and, and to have it be a success on your first ever, you know, sit. I was like, man, this is what it's all about. Like, and I had to reiterate to him, like, hey, man, you know, like dad does a lot of work to. Right put you in this position like I, I wanted him to understand like Joey we could sit a couple days and not see deer you know and that's normal it happens uh, but you know like don't think like you know this is this is it everywhere because it's not you know I, I put a lot of work in food plots and stand prep and and you know monitor, cameras, mon- cameras yeah, pandering deer. deer to put you in this situation to capitalize and and he's like, he was so cool too. He's like, uh, can I shoot whatever I want? And I'm like, whatever you want, doesn't matter. Whatever, if it comes in and it gets you excited, let's rock and roll. And seven does came in right at sunrise. I mean, on a death run, coming back out of the destination fields, and they were just transitioning through our little clover plot to go to bed. And they like put the brakes on as soon as they got to the clover. And he's like, I want that big doe. I'm like, let's do it. Let's rock. Nice. Nice. It didn't have to be a buck. He just wanted to get his first deer, you know? Sure. Sure. It was more exciting watching him do that than me killing Booners, I can guarantee you. And when I had my niece in the stand, I had that conversation with her. and, And these does are right in front of us and we're whispering. I'm like, shooting, I mean, we can harvest does. I'm like harvesting a doe for your first deer isn't a bad thing like it gives you experience it lets you like experiences everything in the woods um, and she's and she really wanted hers to first be a buck and i completely respect that but we had that conversation where it's like it doesn't have to be a buck like like it's yeah. your first you know, deer make make sure but then at the same time how it ended was i'm like it's your first deer if you want it to be a buck we wait for a buck social media is ruining hunting brad you look at these kids that are so proud of their doe or their button buck or their little fork horn and they, they put the pictures on social media and you see grown ass men degrading these kids. Like whenever I see that, I am like the advocate for that kid or that young adult, Same. whatever. Uh, we are supposed to unite as hunters. And I don't know what goes through a grown man's mind when he sees a kid in a photo on social media of smiling, so happy with a doe, a little buck, and they have the audacity to make a comment like, why would you shoot that? You know, like that to me is like, you are missing the point. We all started, I can guarantee you, every single one of us is outdoorsmen. Your first hunt out, you didn't go, I'm looking for a boner. It was, if it's brown, it's down. I'm here to put meat on the table. And that's what it was about. And I feel like because of social media and and big influenced hunting shows, we've gotten away from that. And I agree. And I'm also that advocate. I'm I'm that advocate, not just for kids, like for kids, especially. But if I see someone getting trashed because they're proud of they shot a four point buck and it was the first Mm -hmm. buck they've been hunting for years. And people are like, oh, you should have let it walk. Let them grow. Let them go. Let them grow. I'll be the first to step up and be like. 
it's a perfectly legal harvest. You have no right to judge what's exactly. a, what's a kill, what someone else has, what someone else has chose to kill. That's yeah. how they chose to use their tag. They're excited and proud of what they did. You have no right to turn them down or degrade them. Exactly right. Yeah. So let's talk about your show. We've 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 kind of hit, hit hinted around the subject a little bit. So yeah. So real deal outdoors. Um, so you know, like there's a a team of seven of us that uh, document our trials and tribulations of field, whether it's hunting or fishing with tacticams, um, and we showcase that through social media platforms. You know, YouTube, Facebook. Um, and, and we, our intent was to be different, like not to be like a TV show. We right. wanted to, that's why it's called Real Deal, is like we want to show everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. Not every shot is perfect. You're going to lose animals. Uh, it's how you educate and promote as you follow through in the recovery process that a lot of other people don't show. You know, they right. make a bad shot, they won't air it. Uh, if it's sure. not you know perfect, they're not airing the content. And that, to me, like when we our season one, you know, when we first started out, I killed a three hundred and twelve pound whitetail live on Facebook. Our first season, oh. uh, he scored one hundred and thirty six inches. He's seven and a half years old. His name was Heavy D. He was three hundred and twelve pounds field dress. We estimated him at three fifty five on the hoof. He was That's the bully of the farm. Giant, a giant dude, a giant. His That's neck. An elk. That's his, an neck, his neck was so big, the taxidermist said even a mule deer uh, foam was too small for his cape. <laughs> so anyway, so we killed that deer live. I killed him live on Facebook. It was awesome, dude. He came in perfect. I killed him with uh, the Excalibur crossbow at like 27 yards, hard shot him. And... A set lock as one of our partners shared the video and it had like ah dude it was like unbelievable how many views it had in 12 hours wow like like crazy crazy upwards of 100,000 sure. in 12 hours holy cow and i was like man we might have something here and then my phone started to ring and they were like dude keep doing what you're doing do this live thing because people can relate you're getting people intrigued they're they're, you know, they're commenting, they're sharing. He's like, don't try to make it TV. Keep it real. Don't showboat, you know, like right. show everything. And, and, and I was like, man, we could do this. You know, like I kind of was like just trying to wing it hunt live on Facebook the first right. year. You know? But then when, when, you know, like uh, companies were like, Hey man, we like what you're doing. Uh, you know, we, you know, we'd like to promote you or have you promote our product and, it just kind of really took off from there. We're rolling in now to year six. Um, you know, we could do a better job. It's a learning curve. You know, it's hard to constantly come up with content. And we never wanted to be, you know, like, you know, here's Scrape Fix. Go buy it right now. Right. It's the greatest thing in the world. We're not going to do that. Right. You know, we use it because we have success with it or we like it, you know? Um, and, and I, I think I use Tacticams long before we had a partnership with them, you know? Uh, and, and, and that's kind of like the way we wanted to, to keep it was I don't want to like use something that sucks because they're giving it to us or paying us to do it. So we really kind of stayed away from that. 
And it's more or less like, dude, run what you want. We don't really care. We've got some great partners that support us and promote us and, and, and help set us up annually. Uh, but really, man, it's, it's about like just telling the whole story, the truth, like at the end of the day, you could take the sponsors away and we're still going to do this. Okay. Sure. sure. And, and you're still going to do it with their equipment. Yeah. To me, this is what it was all about was I want a kid that's watching, uh, you know, a, a semi live hunt. And that's the benefit you guys like to be in live on Facebook if they don't cut us off anymore. But like when you're at full draw, there is no editing. There is right. no nothing. It's raw in the moment right now. You're watching on the seat of your pants as this buck's coming in and you're like, the screen is just blowing up with comments, comments, comments. And I'm trying not to look, you know, like, <laughs> and, and then you're like, you miss. And you turn to the camera and you're like, I blew it. And, and surprisingly people are like, dude, I've been there. I can relate to that. Right. I'm glad you're doing it the way you're doing it because they feel like, you know, the relatability again. Exactly. Is it's not phony. It's not staged. It's not edited. It's true, raw. It's the real deal, man. And that's, that's kind of the philosophy behind the whole thing. We're going to keep it rolling like that, you know? That's awesome. That's, that's an awesome way to do it. It really is. Yeah. So when you're on Facebook live, are, are you just using phones then? Like, is that yes. your main? Got it. Yeah. So let me show you real quick. So I can't take my phone off because I'm using it right, to video right. off. So I have this thing right here, a Cupid Smart Bow Mount. All right. Made by Cupid, C-U-P-I-D. So I put it on the stabilizer and it's spring loaded. Phone sure. Line, so you lock your phone in there. So as I'm hunting, I've got a Tacticam mounted to my riser on the top. All right. right. And I've got my phone here and then uh, I can watch. I'm watching the screen as I'm, you know, getting ready to make the shot. I'm seeing everything as it's happening. And there's sure. been a lot of times where I've just held the release and used my fingers to zoom in the camera live to All get, right. you know, even closer. So, I mean, that's a lot of the guys run a, uh, a little, a little uh, flex. I don't have one sitting right here, but a little flexible, like what you would call a, a bow arm for the tree. Sure. Uh, Real tree makes like a 32 incher. That's a cell phone mount with a little ball head. All right. A lot of the team runs that and they'll put their phone in that and they can swing the arm and not have to worry about it being on the bow. Sure. So, and then, you know, the Tacticam is like for us now I'm going crazy, dude. I've got like my buddy, I went to Wisconsin, a turkey hunt. And he's like, how many Tacticams you got out? I had five. I'm like trying to capture ground angles and you know i want to beating the decoys and he's like dude you're crazy i'm like i like that i right. want to be different right you know and that was one thing i tried to do this past year and we just didn't have a hunt that it worked out great but duck hunting i was yak yak attack makes a steak cup full that you can use a ram ball on so i, I have, have a i have it it's on my boat right now all right so so the parking pole um i had a fish eye mounted to that Oh, in the decoys facing back towards the blind. Yeah. Like trying to get like at an angle where it should have got birds landing in the decoys. I just never had it set on a day where the birds worked how I wanted to, but I was oh, yeah. really hoping to get that angle. Dude, have you ever seen this, Brad, real quick? This is like a, uh, this is a remote controlled turkey 
our predator or turkey motion stake. You stick it in the ground. Okay. You put eight AA batteries in there. You mount your okay. rabbit tail or you set your turkey on there. And it runs on a little remote you wear on your neck. All right. So, dude, we were putting this out in the food plot. And I could turn the Tacticam and stop it. And it, it's epic. 50 bucks on Amazon. That's like, awesome. This is, this is next level. Right? Having yeah, a remote control turret. Put a little tripod mount, to, you know, on the top of there. Lock your Tacticam in. And I can spin the camera 360 degrees. That's with awesome. With a push of a button. That's awesome. No, I have not seen that before. But that's cool. That's really cool. I think I got it on Amazon. I was like. Maybe it was $38. Because and and that's what you're talking about. We're trying to do things slightly different, right? Like yeah, you're looking yeah. for those different camera angles. Think outside the box and you know, try and try and film something that's going to intrigue somebody to want to watch, you know. Right, right. And that at the end of the day, is... it's promote, educate, relate. That's awesome. No, that that's that's really cool that you're doing that and you're keeping it as realistic as possible and you're doing it live like live is a completely different experience yes it is it's it could be good but it could also be bad you just right. gotta watch <laughs> and, and there's no way to hide it there's no, no way to hide what happens if you make a no. bad shot everybody gets to experience it with you if you make a good shot they get to experience that and yeah or you have that deer that's working in wind checks you finds you and what starts to walk away and you're all just sitting there like what just happened what just happened yeah no, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I'm going to give you the next couple of minutes here that you can uh, self-promote, talk, tell, tell people how they can find your show, talk about any sponsors you want to mention and anybody else you want to thank. I think we hit them, man. I mean, if you if you guys are interested, follow us on Facebook, Real Deal Outdoors. Um, we've got a YouTube page as well. We're on uh, Instagram, Snapchat. So, you know, we're just, just like you guys, man. We're just trying to do our best and we're, we're, we're as blue collar as they come. We're just like everybody else, just trying to have fun. And, uh, you know, like, you know, partner wise, I, 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 again, like we don't really like, it's not a push right. to promote, you know, like you right. guys see, if you follow along, you see who we use. We love our Tacticams. Um, I will say this because this guy believed in us from the beginning and like has promoted us, has put us on his website. Like I, I had no idea when this company came out four years ago, Thorn Broadheads. Okay. These things are legit. Like everybody on the team has used them for the last five years. Um, they are. So it's a fully contained broadhead. I don't know if you guys can see this in the top one. See how that's fully contained? The yeah. blades are out on that one. So when the tip hits, the blades deploy. 2.2 inch cut. These things are banging, man. So if you guys are in the market for broadheads, I'd highly recommend you check out Thorn Broadheads. He's on Facebook. Andy's the owner. Super good guy, man. And uh, he's, he's one of the guys that's like a, not a big corporation it's a small shop and he sure. builds a fantastic product that i would quite frankly put it up against anything that's awesome that it's yeah. a really un, it looks like a really unique design and like just looking at it, it looks like it should really fly like a field point 
It 100% does. I did not have to change any of my setup from field tips to broadheads at That's all. Awesome. That's so awesome. I'm, I'm, you know, shooting out to 50, 60 yards with the Matthews. It's money every shot. So, and you know, I think at the end of the day, that's the only last thing I'd like to say is like, at the end of the day, we spend a lot of money in, in product, whether we see somebody on TV using it and we want to try it and, and, you know, like you want to get the best bang for your buck. And sometimes, you know, you, we all fall for that gimmick online, you know, like I've, I've seen a lot of stuff. I was like, Oh, I'm going to buy it. It's junk. Right. Like if you, if you follow us or you guys are watching along with us, the stuff we're using, you know, yes, we're getting it sometimes for free, sometimes at a discount, but I can promise you right now, if it sucks, we're done with it. I, I, we don't want to, I don't want to run into you somewhere and you're like, dude, why do you guys use that? It sucks. I want to hear, man, that was the greatest broadhead or those black Eagle arrows are amazing. Do they fly so well? That's the kind of stuff we want, you know? So we're not right. getting paid to endorse brands so you know like at the end of the day run what you brung if it makes you happy great if you if you want to try something we're using or you got a question shoot me a message i'll talk you through any way i can that's awesome and i'm on the same page like if you look at my fishing jersey i mean it's only a handful of companies that i truly believe in that i think make a good product could i have yeah. more on there that i yeah i could sure but i don't actually believe in their products so I w even at a discount or even if someone was to give me money to say, hey, I'm going to give you money, promote this product. If it was a trash product, I respectfully decline and say no. I And I've done that one or two times for sure where I've just been like, no, yeah. I understand. Like you're willing to give me free product. That's awesome. And it wasn't cheap product, but I just don't think it works well. I've used your product in the past. It hasn't held. And I'm not super hard on my equipment and I broke right. it. So anybody who's hard on their equipment would trash this instantly. And I just can't, I can't promote something that I could, that I wouldn't be willing. I wouldn't promote something I'm not willing to pay full price for. There you that's, go. It's that simple. That's, that's the answer right there. That's the answer. So the fact that you guys take that same approach and you show like the real feel and like that actual experience of hunting, like that, that's so like, that's just such a small sliver of what you see out there. And it's awesome to see that. Because it really should be a bright light. It really should be. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a great show. I mean, it's been it's been a blast. Like I could probably talk to you for hours. So I, oh, I'm I, I, we totally could. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I'm uh, I'm glad we did this. Thank you so much for reaching out. I'm 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 happy we did it. I had a, I had a good time, man. Thank you, Brad. So thanks again to all my listeners. I will link. All of Richie's stuff, I'll link his website, I'll link his Facebook stuff, I'll link all of that so everybody can easily find it in the show description. And until next time, keep chasing that experience. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode here on Paddle and Fin. Be sure to drop a five-star rating, a thumbs up, or smash that subscribe button on any platform you're listening in on. Be sure to check us out on Waypoint TV, waypointtv.com. Make sure you sign up for the Fantasy Kayak Fishing League at paddleandfin.com forward slash fantasy. You could support this show through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash paddleandfin. 
Don't forget to check out the website, paddleandfin.com. Catch us on YouTube. If you got a question, comment, or want to see a future guest on the show, be sure to email us at paddleandfin at gmail.com. Shout out to our show supporters, Yak Gadget. You can check out all the fine kayak accessories at yakgadget.com. Pelican Professional. For all your cases, coolers, and lighting needs, go to pelican.com. Rocktown Adventures. Your Midwest premier paddle sports destination. Go to rocktownadventures.com. Eastport Marina. The beautiful destination on Dale Hollow Lake. If you're looking for lodging, kayaks, kayak accessories, or anything fishing related on the beautiful Dale Hollow Lake, go to eastport.info. And Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and fill your tackle boxes today.